making you a vow that barring any unforeseen circumstances like the roof falling in, uh, me falling off the stool, breaking a hip or something, we're going to continue in this study. So Jonah chapter 1, we talked on Sunday that uh, this first part of Jonah chapter 1 was dealing with rebellion. And we saw that as we went through the text, didn't we? Jonah was being disobedient and rebelling against God. Uh, tonight we're going to be looking at repentance. We're going to see that Jonah repents of this. Uh, given the circumstances that came his way, I can see why. Uh, you'll be able to as well. Uh, that whole fish thing that's going on. On Sunday, we're going to be looking at revival. We see that Jonah finally obeys God's command and goes to Nineveh. And we're going to see that a revival takes place. And then in chapter 4, next Wednesday night, uh, it'll be entitled Remorse. And you'll see why. So on Sunday, we looked at this and we see the disobedience of Jonah. That in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, Arise and go to Nineveh for their it's a great city, but their wickedness has come up before me. So God wants to send one of his prophets to Nineveh to preach the message that God has for them. And we see that Jonah decided, nah, I'm not going to do that. God said go. Jonah said no. And not only said no, but went in the total opposite direction of what God wanted him to go in. He went clear out towards uh, Tarshish, although he didn't get very far. And so Jonah gets on the boat. Uh, uh, he's evidently at peace in his own mind for whatever reason. And so he just goes to sleep and God sends a big storm uh, to try to thwart uh, Jonah's plans to go to Tarshish. Uh, the, the sailors who are seasoned sailors get scared, uh, freaks them out. Uh, and again, these guys had been on the sea a lot, you know, so it took quite a storm to freak them out but we talked about it was a perfect storm because it was a storm that God uh, created himself and so they prayed to their gods didn't do any good uh, they still freaked out some more threw their, their cargo into the sea didn't do any good uh, then they decided let's go down and wake up that guy that paid the fare to be on the boat with us as well so he can cry out to his God see what happens so they go down they find him asleep uh, sleeping through the storm which is just unbelievable uh, they want to know what he's all about, what's going on. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. They go, ah, this God that's causing this whole storm. So uh, it says the men were exceedingly afraid in verse 10 and ask him, why have you done this? And it says, for the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Uh, so not only Jonah was, was he fleeing from the Lord, but he was also very open about it. I'm fleeing from the Lord. Is what he said. So then in verse 11, where we left off on Sunday, it says, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. So before we get into verse 12, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. Uh, we look forward to what it is that you have for us in your word. Uh, Father, as always, we know that you desire to share your truth with us. And so we have open hearts, open eyes, and open ears to what you have for us this evening. And so, Father, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, what do we need to do to you, Jonah, so that this storm will stop? Uh, so at this point, Jonah is faced with a choice. He can continue just to ignore 
God's command and ignore these men and continue to be disobedient. Or he could admit his sin and suffer the consequences that would lie before him. And so then Jonah himself in verse 12 says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. You'd have to become pretty far along in your sin to realize this is the answer, right? The answer to this is chuck me overboard and the sea will stop. It'll stop doing what it's doing. Everything will grow calm. So basically, I'll give up my life for, for you sailors, right? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, which had to be a sight, you know, because normally, I guess, on a boat, if you pick someone up to throw them into the sea, they're not going to be all that happy about it. You know, it's not one of those walk-the-plank moments. This is a chuck him overboard, and the sea's going to grow calm, is what he's saying to him. So do this thing. Throw me overboard to save yourselves, and then the storm for you will subside. I confess, this is my fault. This is because of me that you guys are going through this. It's all my fault. So Jonah does confess before these men that he's been caught in a lie. You know, it was me who caused this. I confess to you that this is true. Uh, but there's, there's something missing here. And let's look at it a little closer. You see, Jonah did a good thing. He admitted that he was wrong to these men. He confessed that this, all this trouble was his fault. But yet we don't see anything in the text that indicates Jonah is conversing with God in this, do we? Now, where do we know that true repentance is going to come from? He's going to have to take it to the Lord, right? So you have to wonder in this whole scene, everything that's going on up that led up to this point, at any point in time, would there have been a chance there for Jonah to repent? Of course there was, time and time again, right? But he didn't. He didn't repent. And if he had of, what would have happened? We don't know, but I have a feeling that God would have calmed the sea, turned the boat around, (laughs) and headed it back to shore. I really believe that. Because God was waiting for Jonah to repent so that God could then use Jonah to accomplish the purposes that God had for him. So I think we could be safe to say here that Jonah is exhibiting regret He's exhibiting remorse, but not repentance, is he? It's, it doesn't do him any good to repent before these men. He, these men, he needs to repent before God. And we do that, don't we? Everybody shake your head. Yes. I'm in agreement with you. We do that. Yes. It's one thing to humble ourselves before others, but it's another to confess it to God, isn't it? Uh, we should seek forgiveness from others when we've done them wrong. You know, we've been caught red-handed maybe we've lied or something and there's no way out of it except to just continue to lie Uh, and we know that's just always going to make things worse isn't it Jonah's situation had gone from bad to real bad to very very bad to just really bad and worse you know and it could have had if he hadn't repented or if he hadn't uh, done what he done and said to what he said to these guys, throw me overboard, the, the storm will calm. That's getting him back on the right track, getting back on the road. But uh, there's still a lot of things that are in store for Jonah. And I know in my own life I've experienced this. Uh, I, I, I had to pray really hard whether I would share this story or not, but I just think that it's appropriate uh, uh, you know, for what we're seeing and going on in, in the 
life of Jonah. I, I title it the infamous Jim golf cart story, okay? And you'll understand why when I, after I share this. But years ago, um, I was in college, um, not doing really all that well in college, but we won't go into that t- tonight. But I was in college, and it was during a summer break. Uh, at that time, uh, Chris and I uh, were dating. Uh, most of you know the story of Chris and I know that I started dating her when she's like in the sixth grade or something. That, that's what <laughs> most people think anyway. Uh, you know, uh, we dated for uh, five years before we got married because four of those years she had to f- finish high school. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I waited till she got in high school, okay? I just want everybody to know that. Uh, but this was uh, during the summer, uh, and her family had gone on vacation. So she was out of town, so, you know, it was, I was kind of left up to my own uh, entertainment at that point. So some of the boys that I, uh, you know, used to run with and hooked back up with them that night, and it's like, okay, great, we know we're going to have some fun. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we got involved and participated in some things that maybe you would expect some college guys to do without uh, a huge influence of the Lord in their lives. All right, I'll just put it at that. I knew the Lord. So I knew better. I'm, I'm going to say that right up front. But um, uh, there was fun to be had. So um, anyway, we were just riding around that night, the four of us, doing just whatever. Um, uh, one of the incidents, I wasn't going to share this, but I have to now that I'm in the story. Uh, we had squirt guns. And so we were just like squirting each other, just having a, a blast, you know. Our, our main street down, uh, downtown uh, was, was two lanes or four lanes, two lanes, you know, going each direction. And so we're shooting each other. We're on the inside lane. And um, uh, the guy that was driving shoots his gun towards me. I duck. And to our horror, it, it went right out the window. And it was like a slow motion. You could just see it going and hitting the state patrolman right in the side <laughs> of the face. He pulls us over and confiscates our water pistols and tells us to behave the rest of the night, okay? You know, there's better things for you guys to be doing, which we sought out. So late that night, anyway, the guy that was driving uh, went out to the country club, the, the local golf course, and he pulled in behind and pulled over by the shed where his car was hid, and um, he was very familiar with it because his parents were members there. So... I was like, what, what, what are we doing? What are we going to do here, you know? And he said, we're going to go for a ride. So we go over, we open up the cart door shack, and each one of us grab a golf cart, and we head out. And I can't explain to you the, the peace of of electric golf cart cruising through the night air on a golf course. It was exhilarating. It was just, it was wonderful. And, you know, until one is stuck in the sand trap one goes over the levee by the lake another one goes across the green flips over I was the only one that had a cart that would make it back you know to the cart check so we all get in we got to get out of here you know this is bad and I my driving senses were just a little out of kelter and I turned the cart and I hit the door and it breaks all the fiberglass and and so we just we made a mess you know but we left laughing we had a great time just certain no one's going to have any idea who did this, whatever. Uh, it's going to be in the paper, but we're, <laughs> yeah, you know, we're going to have a chuckle because nobody's going to know. 
Well, that next week, the city police started questioning uh, just kids that they knew kind of ran around together that night and try to find out who was hanging out with who. Because they, I guess they felt like if they could get it down to groups, then they could grow to, go to each group and question them, which is exactly what they did. They picked the kid that was, um, his parents were members of the golf course, and, and he caved. <laughs> he gave us up. Well, in the meantime, you know, the, the, the week's kind of going on, small town, a lot of talk going on, and uh, the rumors are starting to fly. And so to, you know, dispel any rumors, you know, I called my dad and my brother who both uh, played out there, and I said, you know, I just want you to know there's rumors flying around. I didn't have anything to do with this whatsoever. I don't know why my name is coming up with the likes of those guys, you know. <laughs> then to top it all off, the country club uh, manager, the golf course manager, I call her up and I say, hey, I just want you to know that there's some rumors flying around. I want you to know I didn't have anything to do with this whatsoever, you know. Well, the news came out and uh, it wasn't good for us. But fortunately, because, you know, th this is the whole, you know, the whole saying is not what you know, it's who you know. We had a guy in our car that was, his parents were members of the country club, and to avoid any, you know, embarrassment and whatever, they decided to kind of handle the whole thing behind the scenes, which came in the, uh, in the form of a bill that says you owe us this much. You know, they divided it up over four guys, and for guys going to college, you know, that was a lot of money. So then come the great task of calling dad, now, Dad was also a deputy sheriff with the county sheriff's department, which makes the whole story even more interesting, but call up Dad and say, I did it. It was me, which by then he already knew. The whole, I'm very disappointed in you, that whole spill, you know, which I expected. But then I thought, oh, I've got to call the golf course manager and let her know too, you know, so I call her and say, Obviously, you know we are involved. I just want to apologize for calling and lying, telling you I did that. And she said, I knew you did it when you called. Why, why would you call? <laughs> that, she said that was the dumbest thing uh, to do. So, you see, I thought I could get away with it. We've all been there, haven't we? We've been in that place where we've done something. We thought we could get away with it, but I didn't. My sin found me out. And I had regret. I had remorse. Because I got caught. And I can look back on it today and laugh, you know. That was the funniest thing. My dad even laughs about it now, bless his heart, you know. He wasn't really happy then. But, uh, but was I repentant? I knew the Lord. But here I had this trespass and it affected a lot of people's lives. Really, it cost a lot of money. Not just the golf course, but you think about the police officers that are investigating. It was just not a good thing to do. Remember that, Megs, okay? Just re <laughs> so you remember the story of Joseph and uh, Potiphar's wife? Uh, the text says that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and Potiphar's wife was, I guess, what we would call today a cougar, right? Maybe? Uh, she was persistent and constantly pursuing Joseph like a stalker almost, okay? Joseph says to Potiphar's wife when she's making one of her advances towards him, there is no greater in this house than I, because 
Potiphar, if you know the story, had turned over everything to, to Joseph to, to run the whole kingdom. He says, nor has my master kept anything from me but you because you are his wife. So he says to her, uh, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You find that in Genesis 39.9. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph wasn't really all that concerned about Potiphar. But he just did not want to sin against his God. I, he would have felt re- guilt and regret, remorse towards Potiphar. But his main concern was, how can I do this and sin against God? That should be our first thought, our first response. Uh, and it it would keep us out of a lot of trouble, wouldn't it? If we thought about that first, how, how could I do this sin against God? That's who we're responsible to. See, we might get away with it with others. We might. We'll never get away with it with God. So back to the text here. The sailor's response to Jonah. Verse 13 says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. So as they rode harder... God made the storm stronger. They weren't going anywhere. God had His plan, and it was going to happen. Why is it, when we're in the middle of a storm of life, we try to fix it ourselves? Why is that? We do that time and time again. In our own energy, we try to get out of it on our own. We're we're fighting against it rather than yielding to it. The storm grows worse. We grow more tired, just like these sailors. So try as they will, they will not escape this storm without submitting to God's will, which is what? To chuck Jonah overboard, right? So verse 14 says, Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They knew they they were going to have to do this to Jonah. They were going to have to throw him overboard. But they'd already seen the awesome power of God at work, hadn't they? Through this storm, this sea, and everything that was going on. The, you know, the casting of the lots. Uh, the culmination of everything that's happened up to this point in this story. They knew uh, what this God was capable of. So they're crying out to Him. They don't even know who He is, but they're crying out to Him, don't let us perish for this man's life, and don't charge us for innocent blood. So they cried out to the Lord, they, they cried out because that they had all witnessed everything that had happened so far. They'd seen the power of God in nature and creation with the sea. They'd cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Jonah had given testimony that his God had created the sea and dry land. They knew Jonah had run from the presence of the Lord because he told them, and they knew the storm was because of Jonah because he told them so. They were seeking God. Jonah still wasn't. <laughs> But I do think at this time, Jonah definitely knew that he was not and had not escaped the presence of the Lord. Remember when we talked about that on Sunday? Jonah was fleeing the presence of the Lord, or so he thought. I think now he's kind of got the hint that's not going to happen. But Jonah's willing to sacrifice his life to save the lives of the sailors. If he'd only been willing to do the same thing back at the beginning of the story when it came to the people of Nineveh. So verse 15, so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. So I think it's interesting out of all these verses that we've looked at so far, the simplicity of this one verse, threw him into the sea and the sea stopped raging, you know, pretty simple. 
So earlier in the story, they threw cargo overboard that they thought that was keeping them from weathering this storm. Now they throw overboard the real problem, which is Jonah. They've been amazed at the power of Jonah's God who calmed the sea, I think, immediately. There's nothing in the text that tells us immediately, except in verse 16 when they said, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. So something happened with that. I mean, they threw him overboard. They knew they were going to do that, but something caused them to fear the Lord exceedingly, which I think was, boom, as soon as he hit the water, like glass. I, I just believe that. Now, if you disagree with me, that's okay, but I got the mic, you know, so. <laughs> so that's what I think, anyway. Uh, so that. We see that in verse 16 that the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So the question would come up then, did these men give their lives over to the Lord? We just don't know. The story really doesn't tell us. We don't know for sure. But their actions give us a little indication, maybe. Uh, we do know from the text in these verses... Uh, 14, 15, and 16, that they cried out to the Lord, they feared the Lord exceedingly, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, they took vows, and that's some compelling evidence, I think. Uh, you know, uh, we just don't know, because that's the last we hear of these sailors. They, they sail off into the sunset, uh, probably glad to be rid of this man named Jonah. You know, probably talk about it the rest of their lives. You know, they're together. You know, they have this Friday night when they don't have anything to do and the four of these sailors get together. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and they're, they're like, you remember that Jonah guy? Whew, man, that was some scary stuff there. So they're glad to be rid of Jonah and on calm seas and heading where they had originally planned to go. Verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord had prepared a great fish. God prepared the fish. Maybe He didn't need it if Jonah repented. He had this fish all prepared, ready to go. And if Jonah had repented before that, he could just speak to the fish and say, Swim on. You know, This thing's not staying on my ear. <laughs> so, God prepared the fish, whether or not Jonah repented, right? The fish was ready to go. The fish was ready to do his part. Because God knew what was going to happen either way. God had the whole thing orchestrated. He knew what He was going to do. So He was all set, and the fish was all set. But I have to wonder, how long did Jonah have to tread water before the fish showed up? Am I the only one that thinks about that? I mean, because I just think, there he is in the middle of the ocean. He sees the boat going off, and arms are getting tired, legs are getting tired. Jonah, how long can you tread water? Uh, I, I don't know. How, how long did it take before the fish showed up? Uh, did Jonah struggle almost to the point of drowning? You know, he's going down for the very last time. And did the fish come quickly? We, we don't know. But I have this feeling that at some point there, Jonah heard this loud suction noise, you know. <laughs> coming, what's that, you know? Then there's darkness. There's this sliding down, just kind of like a water slide thing that's 
through water and muck and stench. And then there's this big splash, I think probably head first into these gastric juices. You know, that's just what I'm thinking. It's, it's hot, it's humid, it's stinky. I think it's a small, confined sp- place, a, t- a tight spot. I remember growing up in Sunday school that I saw this picture of Jonah in, in the uh, belly of the whale. It was an illustration, obviously. And uh, so he was in this large, just cavernous space. Uh, he's sitting comfor- comfortably, and he's got a depressed look on his face, next to a campfire. <laughs> and I think, how ridiculous is that? <laughs> I mean, that image... Yeah, I'm in the belly of a fish, but things are all right. Got some coffee here, some fresh halibut, you know, or whatever. I don't know. I don't think that it was that at all. In fact, I think that the stomach of this fish was just large enough for him to live in and yet small enough for him to be really, really uncomfortable. Uh, That's just what I think. Um, This is reported to be a true story. In February 1891, the whaling ship Star of the East was in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands when the lookout sighted a large sperm whale about three miles away. So two boats were lowered in uh, in short time and one of the harpooners was able to spear the creature. The second boat also attacked the whale, but it was upset by a lash of its tail, causing the crew to fall into the sea. One of them drowned, but the other, by the name of James Bartley, simply disappeared without a trace. After the whale was killed, the crew set to work with axes and spades to remove all the blubber. They worked all day and into the night, and the next day they attached some tackle to the stomach of the whale in order to hoist it to the deck. In so doing, the sailors were startled by something in the stomach which gave some spasmodic signs of life. Inside was found the missing sailor, doubled up and unconscious. He was laid on the deck and treated to a bath of seawater, which soon revived him. Now, at the end of the third week, he had entirely recovered from the shock and resumed his duties on the ship. But his face, his neck, and his hands were bleached to a deadly whiteness, and he took on the appearance of parchment. Now, Bartley affirms that he probably would have lived inside his house of flesh until he starved, for he lost his senses through fright and not through lack of air. Now this is uh, only one of several records wherein non-Christian, unbelieving historians and scientists have recorded incidents of men surviving in Wales. So, to any of those doubters out there, there you go. It's reported to be a true story. We know that this one is a true story. This Great fish, whatever it was, come up and suck Jonah down into the, his stomach. <laughs> so anyway, chapter 2, verse 1 says, and this is what's shocking in this story to me. Then Jonah prayed. Then Jonah prayed. It's all in how you say it, right? Then Jonah prayed. Kind of like... Uh, Spoil the child and spare, uh, spare the chi- uh, rod and spoil the child, right? Well, if you say it like, spare the rod and spoil the child. It takes on a whole different meaning, doesn't it? So, then Jonah prayed. And I think it's just like we read it. Then, Jonah prayed. 
Not until then did Jonah pray. See, I don't believe he prayed the minute he was swallowed. Three days and three nights passed before he prayed. Why do you suppose he waited so long? Stubborn. That's good. I wasn't asking for a response, but you know, that's, that's fine. <laughs> I can work with that. <laughs> Stubborn, yes. I agree, 100%. Because he's just like us, is he not? That's why you say that. No doubt I've blown it so badly and grieved God so deeply at times, golf cart, that he won't listen to anything I say. Therefore, why pray? If I were God, I wouldn't listen to me either. We, we get that point, don't we? We start thinking that. But it's just not true. And as Jonah's about to experience, God is gracious and merciful, kind and compassionate and ready to forgive and eager to respond no matter where we are or why we are there. So the only real insight we have into what was going on inside this fish is Jonah's prayer, starting in verse 1, chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Now we don't know how much time has passed from when the Lord called Jonah to go to Nineveh till this time, but I'm guessing well over a week he had to travel from Gath Heifer down to Joppa. You know, they didn't have trains, planes, or automobiles at that time, so that took a while. Then he got on the ship, and they go out to sea, and I'm sure they got some distance off land uh, before all this started to take place. Uh, so he didn't pray for at least a week. So it's a good question for us. Have we ever gone that long? Have you ever gone at least a week or over a week without praying? Why? Well, maybe everything was going well and you didn't feel like you needed to pray. I mean, we get to that point, don't we? That happens sometimes. But to go through a week like Jonah's just gone through and then to hang out in the belly of this whale for three days and then pray? You know, you, you have to wonder, okay, God, I know you're smarter than anybody or anything and you called Jonah to be a prophet. Why? What were his qualifications? Dumber than a box of rocks? Or, I don't know. I mean, why? But Jonah is just, he's being stubborn. He's being stubborn. So, we shouldn't be too hard on Jonah, though, until we've examined ourselves, right? <laughs> Whatever you or I are going through, we should always take it to the Lord in prayer. That should be our first response. Take it to the Lord. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what he just said comes with a promise right after that. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So Jonah prays, finally, verse 1. Second part, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Now we're going to see a pattern as we go through Jonah's prayer. Uh, verses 2 through 9 have been called a psalm of thanksgiving that Jonah offered up to the Lord from the depths of the sea. Because it's full of messages from the psalms. This is encouraged because it, it indicates that Jonah has stored the word of God in his heart. Obviously, he didn't have a Bible with him. I don't think he even had a light. 
well, it wouldn't be a light. I guess it would be a light. But Jonah didn't have any of those resources with him. So if he's praying what he's praying, and it's coming from the Psalms, we know that he knew the Word of God. Verse 1, he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Psalm 120, verse 1 says, In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Travis, uh, he led us in the song tonight, uh, came to my rescue. You, you guys remember the chorus? I called, you answered, you came to my rescue, and I want to be where you are. Jonah, he desires now, where before he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, now he desires to be in the presence of the Lord, doesn't he? Jonah would probably want to be anywhere than where he is right now. But certainly, he's crying out to the Lord. He desires to be in the presence of the Lord. He's crying out in distress. He's crying out for help. Crying out for deliverance uh, to God, who's the ever-present help in time of need. So Jonah says, I cried out to the Lord because of my trouble, my affliction, and he answers, uh, answered me. There's a key point for us here. Jonah is praying, uh, praying out of affliction, not out of affection. Now, we do the same thing. We throw up these 911 prayers to God when we're in an emergency situation, don't we? When we're in a situation that, oh, God, we need you to work. Uh. But God wants us to be in a place of worship all the time, to be praying to Him out of affection for Him, not the affliction that we're going through. Although, I qualify that by saying, God still works when we cry out in, in our affliction, doesn't He? But what better place to be to be crying out to God because of our affection for Him. Now we know that Jonah's made some poor choices, some unhealthy choices, and now he's suffering the consequences. So he's been put in a place where he has to cry out in his affliction. If he had been obedient and let God work in him and through him, it wouldn't have happened. He could have been in a place where he was praying out of affection before the Lord. But we can be encouraged that he does before this prayer is over. Second part of verse 2. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Uh, compared to Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths I have cried out to you, O Lord. Now the phrase, belly of Sheol, means this present hell. And I think that's a, a really good term for what Jonah is going through right here, right? Because remember, fish come up to the surface for air, do they not? And then they dive back down. Whales can be underwater for half an hour, 45 minutes, before they come back up for air. And then they would go back up and come back down, right? So Jonah would be going down not only into the sea, treading water, but now he's in the whale going down into the depths of the sea as well. So however dark it was when he went into the whale, gets darker and darker, doesn't it, the farther down he goes. So for him, it's a present hell that he's going through, but it's not permanent, it's temporary. Jonah's no longer fleeing from the presence of the Lord, but is now running to it. Because he'd gone, as we discussed on Sunday, down to Joppa, down into the ship, down into the lowest parts of the ship, now down into the belly of the fish, now down into the depths of the sea, down into what seemed like hell itself for him. And as he cried out to the Lord, the Lord heard his cry. He's saying, I've gone as low as I can go. And I cried out and you heard me. Verse 3, 
For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Compared to Psalm 42, 7, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. For you cast me into the deep, Jonah said. Now we know it was the sailors that chucked him overboard, right? But it was God Himself who cast Jonah into the sea. We all know that. Verse 4, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Compared to Psalm 31, 22, For I said in my haste, I am cut off before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. Jonah felt, so didn't David when he wrote this psalm, they felt like they had escaped the eyes of the Lord. We know that's impossible. You can't escape the presence of the Lord. You can't escape the eyes of the Lord. Jonah felt like I was cast from your presence, but I want to be in your presence. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jonah's finally seeking God with all of his heart. Verses 5 and 6. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah's recounting his physical and spiritual resurrection from this deep, deep place. He was as low as he could go, and the Lord brought him up. Verse 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. In verse 4, we saw the phrase, Toward your holy temple. And here in verse 7, we see the phrase, into your holy temple. Jonah was focusing on here a promise that Solomon had asked of the Lord years before. In 1 Kings 8, 38, Solomon says to the Lord, Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hand toward this temple, then here in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know. Jonah was claiming that promise in his prayer. By faith he looked toward God's holy temple, which was representing God's presence. He asked God to deliver him. It says in that verse, he remembered the Lord. Verse 8 and 9. Those who regard worthless idols... Forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Let's say that together. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah, like us, struggled with worthless idols. In Jonah's case, I think we could be safe to say that one of them was pride. And one of them was selfishness. We would see those two very apparent in the text. So because of his pride and selfish attitude, he ignored the command of the Lord. He went his own way, which was totally the opposite of God's way. We know that he was being selfish because God told him to go to the Ninevites. No, I'm not going to go to them. He did not want to share God's message with the Ninevites. We know he was being prideful because he thought he could escape the presence of the Lord, didn't he? Also in this verse, we see Jonah includes in his prayer some vows to the Lord. Vows that he says he will keep. 
We don't know what those are. They aren't mentioned. So we'll see. And then Jonah closes his prayer with a statement that is repeated in the book of Psalms. It's the main declaration in the Psalms. It's the main declaration of God's word. Say it again. Salvation is of the Lord. Only God could save Jonah. Only God can save us. Now looking back over this prayer as we close, there are four main things to consider. In verse 2, Jonah prays for God's help. In verse 3, Jonah accepts God's discipline. In verses 4 through 7, Jonah trusted God's promises. And in verses 8 and 9, we see that Jonah yielded to God's will. So in verse 2, Jonah prays for God's help. Verse 3, Jonah accepts God's discipline. Verses 4 through 7, Jonah trusted God's promises. And verses 8 and 9, Jonah yielded to God's will. You know, for us, when we've been disobedient, when we've gone against the will of God, we know we need to repent. These are four good things for us to remember as we pray to the Lord. We need His help, without a doubt. We need to accept His discipline because we've consequences are coming, right? But we need to trust in God's promises. God promises He will hear us and He will answer our prayers. And then we need to yield to God's will. What does He have for us? What does He want us to do? What did He want us to do? And be obedient to that. These four things are key to our walk with the Lord. Jonah had to learn that the hard way. Sometimes we do too. When we've been disobedient and we find ourselves in a tight, difficult spot, we should be praying for God's help, accepting God's discipline, trusting God's promises, and yielding to God's will. Verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. (laughs) It's the kind of verse I like, you know. (laughs) Do I need to illustrate that for anyone? I, I wonder if it was projectile. Uh, vomit because how close can a, a big fish get to land I mean are you with me on this he can't get all that close so there has to be a little bit of you know there has to be something going on there boom to catapult Jonah towards land which would have been a funny sight as well you know <laughs> land I'm sure he kissed it when he got there but also The Lord spoke to the fish. I don't know. I'll let your imaginations run wild. I don't know how that works either, but this is the second time we know that God spoke to this fish. You know, hey, chuck him. Get him out of there. It's time to go, right? We don't know where this happened. Uh, You could say the fish spat him back up right where he started. I think there's irony in that. I think that that's kind of funny. Uh, Where he's going to Nineveh, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers go there. Maybe it's not too much to think that the whale, I mean, this was a supernatural whale. It was God's whale. God spoke to him and he heard him, so it's not your normal everyday fish, right? We don't know. We don't know, but we do know this. While Jonah was in the fish, he was praying. God was listening. Another key point, the fish was moving. 
moving in the direction God wanted it to go. In the direction that God wanted Jonah to go. God was using this fish to transport Jonah back to where Jonah needed to be on track. When Jonah thought he was going nowhere, God used a fish to get him where he wanted him to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening that as we look at this story, Father, it is in some ways humorous to us, uh, but what's transpiring in the story is very serious, and that's sin in Jonah's life. And we all know about that. We know about falling short and being disobedient and going against your commands, uh, Lord. You have given us words of life through your holy word that you've given us, uh, words to live by. It's very clear, but Lord, we still, in, in our own hearts, uh, at times make bad choices, and we choose to go a way that isn't according to your will. Lord, we just come before you tonight asking for forgiveness for those things. Lord, I know that with each one of us, things come to mind right now. Things come to our hearts. Maybe it was something that happened today. Maybe it was something that happened on our way here or even since we've been here. Maybe it's something, Lord, that's been tucked away back in the recesses of our minds and of our hearts that has been there for years. And, Lord, we've never taken it to you and asked for your forgiveness. Lord, we desire for our hearts to be cleansed here this evening. We desire to leave this place renewed and refreshed in you. And Father, we know that you offer that when we come before you humbly, repentant, confessing, Lord, where and how we've fallen short. You already know it, Lord. We're not hiding anything from you. And Lord, you desire to deal with us in that regard. We might think even that it's just the smallest of sins, uh, little white lies, as we would call them, there's no such thing. It's a trespass against you. And we need to be asking ourselves, as Joseph did, how can I do this sin against my God? Lord, we just offer these things up to you right now. In the silence of our minds and in the silence of our hearts, Lord, we just look to you, asking you to search our hearts, Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in us that we need to bring before you in the place where it can be dealt with properly.